What's up, Strive to Movers and Stay Healthy New Jersey listeners? This is Dr. Justin Rabinowitz, your host. We have another exciting episode for you today and a personal one. So Coach Max Newell started coaching at Bridgewater Raritan High School, actually when I was a senior in high school. And so I've known him since the year 2004. And since that time, he has become the head coach at Bridgewater Raritan. Um, and he's also a teacher within the district. Now, here at the Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast, we like to interview people within the local community that we're able to get an idea of what they're up to and how they're helping the community around us, and mostly as it relates to health, fitness, and sports. So Coach Max Newell was actually one of my coaches. He's also played professional baseball, and we get into it right from the start about a very interesting story, his experience going through college and playing baseball, and also a side project that he has that is in the golf industry, which uh, he brought us some really sweet gear um, that I hope you will check out as well that we get into. So it's another episode that I'm really proud of and I think that you will enjoy. And like always, if you like what we're doing on the podcast, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. This is the Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast, aimed at helping you live an active and healthy life in and around Somerset and Union County, New Jersey. This podcast is brought to you by Strive to Move, located in Warren and Berkeley Heights. Strive to Move helps active adults in New Jersey get back to doing what they love pain-free. Coach, how are you today? I'm very well, thanks. Um, My favorite story about you, which I don't know if you remember this. (laughs) Oh, boy. My senior, I graduate high school. We're playing summer baseball. You come to watch our game. I say, Coach, how's it going? Good. So, what are you doing this summer? He said, I'm playing professional baseball. <laughs> and I was like, well, That's a good summer job. How did, how did that even happen? Um, well, I, I played a season before I started coaching you guys. I played in the summer of 99. So, kind of a summer between undergrad and grad school. Mm-hmm. And, uh, didn't go as well as I wanted to, so I always said if I had a chance, I'd go back. So um, the day after school ended that year, I drove up to um, drove up to uh, Broxton, Massachusetts, and uh, just had a tryout and threw well and got signed, and away we went. So, which at that point you're teaching full time, you're coaching, and so it's not like you were training all year to play professional baseball. Just just a little. BP to you guys. <laughs> it's crazy, crazy how that worked. So, how many years have you been the head coach at Bridgewater now? Head coach, this will be my thirteenth year. It's crazy how fast it goes. It goes right? really fast. Really yeah. fast. And you've been teaching how many years? This is my eighteenth year. Okay. So, um, yeah, eighteenth year coaching overall because I volunteered for two and then did freshman for three, and now this will be thirteenth year with varsity. Thirteenth on the varsity program. So, I uh, want to get into a lot with you and a lot about you know. There's so much in the news now about arm care and different things, and I think. What's interesting with your perspective is you're obviously the coach, but you still play. I do. You still throw, uh, you know, pretty competitively, Mm -hmm. right, in a men's league. So you – and you played professionally and you played in college. So um, I know the big thing – the big change since I've been in high school is the pitch count rule, right? Right. It used to be um, days, and now it's it's done by pitches. What do you think about that? How's it going? Because I've been out. I don't know. So tell me. What's going on? Basically what the rule did is it – condensed everything uh, or I should say expanded everything by a day where before you might have needed two days now basically if you throw the same amount of innings you know the the pitches may differ but it equates to 
uh, one more day of rest needed. So uh, I'm fine with it. I've, I've never been a, a coach that, you know, abuses arms. Yeah. Um, always, always safety over, uh, over, over everything else. But uh, for me, I like to, because I pitched, I have, I have the, the perspective where it's not always how many pitches you throw. It's the, the type of pitches that you throw. So I've thrown in games where I've thrown 110 pitches and we won 10 nothing, and I felt fine the next day. I've also thrown in games where I've only thrown, say, 80 pitches, but it's been a one-nothing game, and all those pitches are a lot of a lot of tension involved in them, and I feel like I got hit by a truck the next day. Mm-hmm. So um, I always kind of take into account this game situations as well as the number of pitches. How, as a as a high school coach, you only have the kids for basically three months out of the year, mm-hmm. um, and obviously we always talk about arm injuries, like. How much control do you actually have on it? How do you view it when most of the time these kids are playing fall, spring, summer, and they're coming to you for a portion of the season? How do you deal with that? Well, it used to be we had them for about six months with summer ball, but summer ball's transform or transitions, I should, I should say, from them playing for their school teams to playing for these AAU and select teams, which is fine. It's a little bit different, but um, we kind of have a schedule that we put in place starting with tryouts, even from tryouts, so many pitches this day, so many pitches that day. And we try to get them all on a schedule and look at our scrimmage schedule and, and get everything planned out so it's a gradual building process. The worst thing you can do is stress the arm too soon, too early, and then it kind of actually sets you back because then they have to recover from that. So if you have a plan in place, it makes a lot more sense and you, you really need to stick to that plan, especially early in the year. Uh, how does that? How do you do that with? Because I'm assuming, and maybe I'm wrong. Uh, you want the kids throwing before you can officially work with them, or not really? Yeah, most of them do some sort of winter program. Uh, we can't be involved at all in what they do baseball-wise outside our coaching window. Um, so most of them are going to one of the baseball schools and, and throwing a little bit. But even with that, that's completely different from competing in, in a stressful situation. Yeah. So um, we're always safe more more safe than sorry and you know we will you know I'll, I'll take a kid out even if it means you know bringing someone in who's not quite as good or not as experienced it might cost us a game but early in the season I'd, I'd rather save an arm than, than than you know kill an arm just to win one game so you basically from the time you get the kids in I guess what is it March right get the kids yeah first Friday in March and then you have about a month before season starts mm, this year it depends it's always the first Friday in March so last year was March 1st this year it's March 6th yeah so it varies in the year but yeah three to four weeks in a perfect world if, the, if you could throw the rules out the window what would be an ideal like build up to the season to get them ready to go um, ideal world, we'd have another two weeks and you just build up from there. But, uh, we get their two throwing sessions in tryouts, which are a certain amount of pitches in a controlled environment. And then two days after tryouts and scrimmage season starts. So then it's like an inning or two at a time. And then the next week is two to three or two to four, depending on whether they're going to be a starter or a reliever. Yeah. And, uh, hopefully by the the last week of scrimmages, they're up to, say, four innings, you know, four or five innings at most, and then, then you go from there. But uh, Do you um, – has there been over the cha- over the course of your career as a head coach, have you ch- maybe seen, like, crap, like where guys are more banged up than I thought and changed things, or you've kind of had the same plan since you started? Uh, you, you try to 
stick to a certain plan that you think works, but some of the, the kids are going to be more sore than others. Um, we had a player last year, I'm not gonna, uh, a few years ago, I'm not going to name names, but real tall, skinny kid and uh, just was prone to tendonitis just because he didn't have the, the, the body build to, to me. He threw hard and that stress wasn't so much that he was doing anything wrong. It was just his body was moving faster than it was capable of healing. Right. So um, you have to look at the individual player. Some kids have more durable arms. Some kids have had injuries in the past, and you just have to, to play it by ear and, and take the safety of each player into account. Do you? Um, I've always thought that like baseball in the Northeast should be played in the fall because I mean the, the spring it's just brute. by March it's freezing. Like April it's okay, and then usually by the time it gets nice, the high school season's over. Yeah, there, there's. There's arguments for that, but also you want to be playing the most important games when the weather's nice. If you flip that to the fall, your most important games could be in crappy, crappy weather. weather. Right. So um, depends. Um, I know you know in Pennsylvania they have golf in the fall, where in New Jersey they have golf in the spring. But a lot of that has to do with course availability. But sure. for uh, I'm fine with having it in the spring next year. In fact, they're they're moving it back a little bit. So we're starting uh, mid March, and then, right? then they're moving state championships back another week. So. Uh, it'll be a little bit better. At least we won't start the regular season until I think the second week in uh, second week in April, which right. is, which is a little bit better. I think it's a smart move. Yeah, I mean it sounds that sounds like a good thing. I mean you played college baseball in Ohio. I played in New Jersey, and I mean you're outside in February shoveling the field and going out. It's like what the hell am I doing? This is crazy, right? Yeah, it's it's pretty. As a pitcher, I didn't mind throwing in the cold because I would throw inside and gave me you know an advantage. If I convinced myself mentally I wasn't cold, yeah, <laughs> it was fine. But yeah, playing baseball in the cold is not is not, not the, the greatest thing in the not world. Not ideal. Talk to me about um, you know because you mentioned AAU and or travel ball at this point. How much involvement do you have in college selection and sending kids to college at this point? Um, I will help them in any way possible and make contacts as as as, as much as they want me to get involved. I will get involved. Some of them do everything kind of on their own through their summer coaches. Some ask for me for help, but um, you know, it's you only have a you know a few players a year that are going to be able to play at the college level. But uh, if they if they need help, uh, you know, you should be always more than willing to help, which right. I am. Good. Um, I remember. So you played at Baldwin Wallace, correct? And then I can't remember the exact story, but at some point you could have transferred D one because you did so well there, right? Correct. Yeah, I I I had a really good freshman year. I started as a freshman and then played on a, a summer uh, select team mm-hmm. that. Uh, was mostly D1 kids, and we played all over the country. And uh, you know, I was told that you know a couple coaches from a couple bigger schools were, were interested, but I was still kind of small and not throwing super hard. But um, you know, I, I wanted to stay where I was comfortable and where I knew I was going to start. So. so, so that being said, I think it's interesting because you have a unique perspective on it. How do you counsel? We had a we had the Watching Hills Jim Huff wrestling coach on and asked him similar question. You know, when kids are looking D one, D two, D three, and I remember being a high school kid, every kid wants to go big time, right? And you had the experience of playing at a small school but being very successful and even had an opportunity to move up. So, you know, what would your advice be to a kid or a parent that might be in a similar situation? It's what's important to you. To me, I wanted to play, and I wanted to succeed. To me, um, pitching, you know, being a starting pitcher on my college team was something that I really enjoyed, and uh, I wanted to do that more than, say, go to a bigger school and be the last arm out of the bullpen. Mm -hmm. But some people want to go to a big school and want the big school experience. I think it all depends 
on what you're looking for out of your college experience. But my, you know, I say to my coaches and, and parents all the time, if you're good enough, they're, they're, they're going to find you. And if, sure. and even if they don't find you, there's tryouts that you can go to. I got signed out of a tryout. So if you think you're good enough, hey, go pay your 50 bucks and go to the tryout and, and, and roll the dice and see what happens. And you mean good enough at the get to the professional level? Yeah, professional level. Um, college level, for the most part, you know, if they're, once again, if you're good enough, they're going to find you, mm-hmm. especially for the, you know, the D1. Now, mm-hmm. D3, you have to do a little self-recruiting sometimes, but uh, there's nothing nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I mean, that's what you did, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then as far as, um, like, playing time and when kids talk to you, uh, you know, what I, my experience and then you, same thing, when you play at, like, an upper Division three school, a lot of times it's like, do I want to do that or do I want to go to a lower D1 school and, and see how that – so when you're talking to a kid – um, how do you kind of counsel them on, on what to really look for? Once again, it comes down to the, the kid themselves. Some, some kids, um, you know, think that they really want to give it a shot at D1. And if, if you really want to, you know, go for it. Yeah. But um, for the most part, if you're, if you're going to be successful at D1, you, you kind of know. Um, now, there's... I, I was a, a rare case where I improved a tremendous amount in college because I was very small physically coming out of high school. Mm-hmm. But in a lot of cases, that's not going to be what happens. Sure. Um, but it all comes down to, do you want to go play D1 and, and maybe not play and compete? But D, D3, even the, you know, the better schools, it's really good baseball. Yeah. And to me, I wanted to play. I mean, I would... I would have competed for a spot wherever I went, mm-hmm. but I wanted to be on the field and compete and because there's only so much time you have to do that. Right. And you got to be honest with yourself too. Yeah, which is hard to do, especially when you have a lot of other influences, yes. right? Yes. Being honest with yourself is sometimes the hardest hardest thing to do. And I think, you know, you mentioned that it used to be the summer ball when, like, when I was there. It was like with the high school program, but now, um, and good for them, it's a business. that So they – any business, when you have more success, more kids go D one, uh, your business looks better, right? And so you almost there's a, might be a push towards that, even if it might not be the best thing for people. Yeah, the summer ball thing's interesting because you're paying them to play. Like when you played for our summer teams, it was maybe three hundred bucks, and that covered the umpires and your yeah. your jersey. Now you're paying thousands of dollars to pay for the play for these teams, and that's. It's great because you're going to get the travel, you're going to get exposure, but at the same time, are people telling you things um, just because you're paying them, mm-hmm. or are they or are they being 100% completely honest with you? Are they yeah. telling you things that you want to hear just so you continue to pay? Sure. Now, I'd like to think that most summer programs are above that, but there's definitely some that, some that sure. are. Yeah. If I came to you and I said, Coach, I want to be the best baseball player I can be, tell me what my 12-month schedule would look like. Does that mean I should play another sport? Does that mean I should play fall baseball? Does it mean I should weight lift? What, what would you counsel someone at this point? Um, to me, you should play other sports. You should definitely play other sports. And you should take some time off from baseball. Okay. Not a ton of time, but there is some time during the year where you should have some downtime. But I love when we have guys that compete in other sports. Yes. To me, there's not enough like competition. There's 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 summer ball competition, but you're playing with guys you don't know, and and 
you you know you're playing for yourself in, in these showcase events. But if you're playing for your 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 town high school team and another sport with the guys you grew up with, and you're trying to win championships, that's competing at a different level. Yeah, and I think it prepares you mentally. Um, uh, mental preparation is just as important as physical preparation, and also you know using muscles that you might not use. In baseball and say football or basketball or soccer is important too to you know not overuse mm-hmm. certain muscle groups. Tell me about the the mental side of it. We're actually going to interview a sports psychologist soon, and and it's Dr. Nick Molinaro, and he always says that's the missing link in most athletics. We have strength and conditioning, we have our skill practice, but the the mental side of it, which I mean you and I both know, is so important. How do you go about addressing that with the team, and what do you do for it? Well, especially in baseball, where it's a, a one-on-one type situation, whether you're a batter against a pitcher, pitcher against a batter, it's it's hard to for at least for younger players to block out all the noise and stay focused at one pitch at a time. Yeah, and uh, I think controlling your breathing is incredibly important, and just slowing things down. Um, but yeah, we, we recommend every year that our players read a book called uh, The Mental Game of Baseball by Harvey Dorfman, mm-hmm. um, you know, famous sports psychologist. He passed away a few years ago, but he worked with Roy Holiday, famously among others. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, just not letting the game get too fast and, and, and staying in the moment. And, you know, and you hear this all the time. It's, it's You're worrying about the, the process, not the results. Mm-hmm. And stay process-oriented and, and – and just because something doesn't work one time doesn't mean it's the wrong thing to do. You just have to stay dedicated to what you do. And I think one of the reasons why I had success in my playing career and still do is that I stay process-oriented and stay in my mechanics and, and trust in the things that I've worked on and worked on and worked on and trust that they're going to carry over into the game and not let one bad pitch affect the next one. Right. And, you know, the thing with – I always thought football when I played was always easier because you're away from everything and it's like kind of louder. There's more people. Baseball, it's four o'clock on a Thursday. Like there's 15 people there, but and if they're loud and screaming at you on the field, you can hear all of them. Yeah, and you also can't go hit somebody if, right. <laughs> if you're frustrated. Yeah, that's you know, right. You take a big swing and a miss, strike three, you're out. Now you got to sit in the dugout, go back in the field, and you know some of the biggest things we talk about is not taking your at-bats into the field mm-hmm. or not carrying over to your next at-bat. And that's tough for teenagers. Sure. And that's tough for major league players. Yeah. yeah, exactly. What do you – you've been doing it, you know, 10, 15 years almost now. What are lessons that you've learned, I guess, you know, from when you first started coaching to now? Um, that I constantly remind myself that the game is incredibly hard. So when these teenagers make mistakes – it's not like they're trying to make a mistake. And, and the, the realization that it's a really, really hard game yeah. and that you have to know when to criticize, you have to know when to pick up, and that's just a feel thing as you get with coaching. Yeah. Um, I think early on, all young coaches are a little bit more too intense, are more intense than they need to be, and they need to you know take a step back and remember that it's really hard. Yeah. And I think that's the one thing that uh, still playing allows me to keep that perspective. Yeah. I remember I asked you that years ago, and, and I probably don't remember the conversation, but you said one of the things I realized as a coach was that everyone's not a one percenter like me. And and not that they're not as not that talent wise, but that 
you love baseball like I did so much and you it's easy to almost resent the other people if they don't feel the same way as you and that doesn't mean they don't care it just means that it's not as it's not important and they still want to be there but it's not the same right there's there's a different mentality that people who are really into it who are you know and especially baseball especially and even even football because all the film study and all that stuff but you're either you're either into it or, or you're not. And, and if you're not, that doesn't mean you can't be a bad player or you can't be a good player. Not yeah. doesn't mean you're going to be a bad player, but it's that, that extra that you're willing to give and willing to do. And just because you love it so much. Yeah. And then not everyone has that. No. And, but again, it's impossible to have a team and it probably wouldn't even be so good if you had a full team of that anyway, you know? Right. I always learn lessons from the kids that kind of, a lot of times they would almost do better because they didn't care as much and they wouldn't affect them. Right. Yeah, there's 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 people that you just hey they're just like out there having fun and you know this you know they're not, they're not worried about things that people who are really into it but at the same time their ceiling's going to be lower because right. they're not uh, right right not, right you're not gonna not gonna put in the time and effort that's right um, talk to me about the upcoming season for Bridgewater Raritan High School 2020 what does it look like for you uh, we're excited about this season we. Uh, we had a good season last year with uh, with a pretty young team, mm-hmm. and um, we uh, we have a lot of arms left or back. So um, this will probably be the most pitching depth that we ever had. Okay. Which, especially in this day and age with the pitch count, you can't you can't have enough pitching. So we uh, we have a lot of pitching. Um, we're excited about that. Offensively, we have to improve a little bit, um, but we have some guys back that you know have the potential to do that. So. Um, you know, we 15 wins last year and hopefully at least equal that, if not more. So. Uh, I finished playing right around when they changed the bats, going back a little bit now. Mm-hmm. It's been a while. Is the game much different now when they kind of – the idea was it was going to feel more like wood. It wasn't going to be these big high-scoring games. Has it changed or not really? Yeah, there was the, – the big change was from these uh, – like the composite barrels. There were a couple years where it was just ridiculous. It yeah. was like hitting with trampolines. Yeah. And uh, now, since they went to the the BB core bats, it's you, you gotta you gotta put a good swing on it to get the ball out. Right. It's not uh, just stick your bat out and the ball jumps off of it. Um, so, the bats have made a difference. Yes, and, and the pitching, I'm assuming, is better because the bats aren't as good. Um, the one thing that I've seen throughout the years, um, even from you know when I played back 25 years ago, is that the pitching depth is better mm-hmm. uh, especially with the bigger schools that instead of just having one or two arms that are really good and then whoever else comes in is just yeah. trying to get the ball over the plate yeah teams have three four good pitchers now yeah and uh yeah it's it's not so much that the top pitchers are that much better than the top pitchers before but just overall depth it's more people more yeah. kids that can do it yeah. and around here i think there's just really really good Good competition, correct? I mean, I feel like Hunter and Central always got kids. Yeah, yeah. Drafted. New Jersey baseball in general is very good. Yeah, north, south, wherever you go, that's it's it's really good baseball. And I guess not surprising, maybe surprising because for a northeast state, how much talent there is here. Yeah, I mean, it's you know the most densely populated state in the country, so there's lots of kids uh, playing. But uh, you know, the the more and more baseball schools, indoor facilities, um, like I said, the the ability to travel in the summer now on these teams, um, better competition. So, you know, and just 
you know, as the years go by, coaches get more knowledge and, you know, you gotta gotta be into it now if you're gonna win. What's the interest level in Bridgewater now? It's such a huge town, so there's always so many kids. But obviously, it's always been a lacrosse town. As since you started coaching, is it the same kind of amount of kids coming out? You see it dwindling, increasing. What do you see? Yeah, we usually give it about the same. You know, plus or minus ten kids every year at tryouts. Um, so, you know, but with public school, you you never know what you're gonna get. And right. You just go and you work with those kids the best you can. And right. Some years you have more talent than others. <laughs> right. Do you guys feel it out here? Um, you know, my other offices in Union County, and there's a lot of the public schools lose to the privates. Do you lose a lot or not so much? We'll lose it, you know, a couple kids a year, but it's, you know, they, they were probably going to go to private school their entire life. So you don't yeah. look at it like, oh, this this kid went to this school and we could have been so much better with him. Well, he's never going to come anyway. anyway so. Right, 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 right. You worry about what you have and what you don't have. Sure. So let's transition a little bit. You teach in the business department at Bridgewater I do. High School, but on the side, you're an entrepreneur. I am. So it's interesting because most teachers aren't. They teach. So what's that about? How did you How did you have the entrepreneurial bug, spirit, and we'll show some of your stuff on. We have the camera going. Um, well, there, it's actually there's a few teachers at school that, that have their own side gigs, whether yeah. they, they run it or not or they, they whatever, but... Uh, I went. To, I didn't go to school to be a teacher. I went. Okay. I had a business education, uh, or excuse me, a, I teach business education. I had a, a business administration degree yep. from undergrad, and then I went to grad school for sports marketing. Okay. And did that for a few years, and then moved back to New Jersey to teach through the alternate route program. Mm -hmm. But I always wanted to um, start a business, specifically a golf business. Um, golf is the other thing that I really enjoyed. And uh, I had several ideas through the year and uh, through the years, and nothing really stuck until I kind of came across or came up with this. And uh, it just so happened that you know everything kind of fell into place and got it started. Um, we opened, we launched last November, November mm -hmm. of twenty, what's that, eighteen? Mm -hmm. And then um, yeah, so so far so good with it. What's talk, talk to me about the Genesis Stymie. Is, so, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, it's Stymie Golf Supply is the name of the company. And I was looking for a, um, a golf term that um, was kind of a vintage because we want to do a little vintage look with our stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I've always been fascinated by branding. So I wanted the logo to look a certain way and, and you know, have an icon with the word mark and all that. So everything, yeah. everything kind of worked out. But Stymie is an old golf term where... Um, Prior to 1952, I think is the last year that it was in effect, uh, you didn't mark your ball on the green. There was a lot more match play back in the day. So mm -hmm. if um, you had your putt and you putted your ball in front of somebody else's and between their ball and the hole, they were considered stymied. So they had to try to go over your ball. Is that right? Yeah. Or they could knock your ball out of the way, but then you could replace your ball. So you could actually block a person from getting their putt into the hole really? as opposed to trying to make your putt. Yes. And then that, around that time, they, they got the end, you marked your ball. Yeah, 1952, I think, was the last year that they used it in, in competition. Interesting. And so um, you started the business, and but you're I'm interested because, you know, my businesses are really, I need a table and a room somewhere. You have to make produce how does all that work like when you started like making the hats and and doing all the supplies and doing all that stuff right a lot of it's just doing research and finding um companies that that will make the stuff and do private branding but uh the the hats and and the tees and the t-shirts are all supplemental to just help the brand the, mm -hmm. our main product is the um 
the head covers themselves and the valuables bags. So uh, that was just a matter of sourcing the fabric. And then my mother is uh, a seamstress. So oh, is that right? So we uh, we did the prototyping during the summer of 2018, and, mm-hmm. and you know went through a bunch of iterations of different types of head covers and shapes and sizes, and, and came up with the the one that we liked the best, which was the barrel shape. Uh-huh. And then um, I source all the fabric mostly out of uh, New York City, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, she does does the sewing. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And so most of your um, sales are through Instagram. Uh, that's our main marketing tool is Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have the website, so the sales go through the website. But yep. yeah, most of the referrals are through the Instagram page. It's okay. just the 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 tool that I found the easiest to use. Seems like I mean you know we talked about Nick before a golf coach and he most of his business is through Instagram mm-hmm. at this point. So yeah. it's a, it's a real thing. Um, how's it going so far for you? It's going really well. I mean, we've been around for, like I said, a little over a year now. Um, We've gotten, um, you know, direct to consumer sales on the website have been great. And then Mm -hmm. a a few golf courses have reached out for us. So we did our first order for a golf course was for Bally Neal, which is in uh, northeast Colorado, the the Mm -hmm. 48th ranked course in the country. So we did an order for them last year. Uh, We worked through a... um, a company called Country Club Collective, and they got a corporate order for us through uh, or with uh, Continental Tire. So mm-hmm. we've been, uh, you know, it's been progressing really well, considering it's a, you know, not a full-time gig yet. Well, uh, oh, interesting. Yet, <laughs> um, do you ever think about like not leaving, but what what I could do if you had more time? Um, yes and no. I mean, there's only so much growth that you can do. Um, without forcing it and without investing a ton of money in it. Sure. So yeah. I'm trying to grow responsibly, at least fiscally responsibly on my end. Yeah. And I still enjoy the teaching and the coaching. So, uh, you know, I, I, and I'm single and I don't have any kids. So I, I have, I have enough time to, to do everything. The only yeah. time that time is a little crunched is during baseball season. Do you, I mean, I would assume just logistically, if, if tomorrow you happen to grow rapidly, like production might be an issue. Um, Yes and no. We have we have contingency plans lined up. Should uh, should we get a few large orders and yeah. have to get them done? Yeah. So, um, but yeah, we've kind of planned for planned for some growth. It's interesting because you teach micro and macroeconomics in yes. school, and I never took those. Um, and it's but it's I mean because at the time I wasn't interested in business because I thought I was going to do this, and now <laughs> I realize like everything's actually, a business, and I enjoy it too, and I really like the business side of it. Um, but the other part, a lot of people that are entrepreneurs, one of the downfalls of that when you go to college is you're a business to get a business degree and it doesn't teach you anything about how to run a small business. It's, it's kind of like how to work for a fortune 500 company. Have you found that you or your experience running a business has helped your teaching too? Um, it gives you a different perspective on things. Yeah. Um, there's textbook stuff and then there's real world stuff yeah. and being able to speak about the real world stuff and experiences that I've, I've had and dealing with customers or uh, dealing with clients and um, dealing with suppliers, dealing yeah. with the postal service. Yeah. <laughs> um, all that stuff is, I think, valuable that if you could bring it to the classroom and, and fit it into your lessons. I remember my, my one of my college teammates, he's my financial advisor, Morgan Stanley. And I remember the one day we were talking about marketing and I was like, oh, what are you doing for marketing? He's like, oh, I'm going to go and I'm set up a booth at this local fair and I'm going to bring, you know, I was like, what are you going to bring? What material? He's like, I'm going to bring all my pamphlets and everything like that. And I'm thinking to myself, 
so easy because you could just go in the closet and get the pamphlets that Morgan Stanley has for you. Here we have to create the pamphlets. Like, yeah. <laughs> there's no there's no box. Correct. You know? All the stuff here we've created. So it's a different world when you're like, oh crap, how does that actually happen? You know, I'm sure you've had to deal with the same thing. The design, uh, you know, supplies, all the stuff that just kind of comes easy if you're in a big corporate setting that you don't really have in your setting, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, corporations are paying people to do that as their job. Yeah. You as a small business owner. You're the marketing department, you're the accounting department, you're the yeah. uh, public relations department, you're everything. Right. So. And then the other part, too, is, you know, the marketing budget really is your own money. Correct. You know, there's yes. no, like, budget that the company gives you. You know, yes. I, would, I laugh at um, some of, like, Big Pharma or whatever. They always say, get if you want to work with Big Pharma bu- budgets, go at the end of the year because they know if they don't spend all of their money, they're not going to get it the next year. That's right. I was like, oh, that's not how this world works. <laughs> not, not at all. all. Not even close. No. Most of our, our my marketing budget is is providing product to people for free to get it in people's hands. Right. And, and, uh, at, at first, you got to do that. Right, so. right, right. Do you, um, what, is, you know, 10 years from now, what what would you hope that Stymie Golf Supply becomes? Uh, I, I hope that it's still self-sustaining. I mean, that's, that's the main thing that we're at now where, you know, the money coming in goes right back out, but, I'm, you know, I've, I put my initial investment in and, and I'm able to sustain it. So, uh, you know, growth and that we're in golf courses and that when people see that, that red, that maroon S or see stymie, they, they know what it is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's our, our thing and, and my thing always, no matter what I do is I want to want to create something of quality, right? Mm-hmm. The baseball program, I want to be a quality baseball program. I want my, my classes in school to be quality classes. I want the products that I uh, produce and that we sell to be quality products. Mm-hmm. So um, whether the head covers that we're making ourselves, we, we have control over that, so we know they're going to be quality. But the teas we get from a great great company that does quality stuff and mm-hmm. you know, went through a lot of different uh, suppliers to find stuff that meets the standards that we want to put out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good lesson. Um, I guess my last question, I'm curious, you know, you've been, you started teaching when I was in high school before any of the digital age, really. I mean, mm-hmm. um, have you, even in your micro macroeconomics classes, have you seen a, the, the jobs that a lot of these kids are going to come out and get didn't even exist when I was in, in school. Is there, is what you teach different? Is the mentality different these days? Um, well, what I teach hasn't changed hardly at all. Okay. <laughs> From all right. Adam Smith writing Wealth of Nations in 1776, a lot of the microeconomic tenants have stayed the same, uh-huh. um, but there's still value in them. Uh, as far as the students are concerned, um, their attention spans are a little bit shorter, mm-hmm. um, just because they're they have technology in the palm of their hand. They're, the the phone they have in their hand is ten times more powerful than the computers that we had in high school. Right. Um, they're they're very in tune to a lot of things going on that we probably weren't. Sure. Um, as far as uh, you know. Coaching is concerned. Uh, I think one of the biggest differences is um, the kids today are, are a little bit more sensitive. I guess I don't. I don't know why that is, but it seems like um, you have to make sure that when you're giving uh, instruction or even constructive criticism, that you remind them that you're not criticizing them as a person. You're 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 trying to help them get better, and, and you're saying, you know. That situation, you need to do this, and you know that what you did there was. We're not saying you're a bad person for doing that. It just so happened that you need to understand that. Hey, we need to get better here. Yep. So there's kids have changed a little bit. They're they're still. I mean, 
they're just as smart. They're, they're great kids. I love going to work every day. But mm-hmm. it's just you see these differences. You know, you don't see them day to day. But when you take a step back and look at it, yep. you, you recognize that things have changed. And a lot of it has to do with the technology and the immediacy of everything that they have that we didn't have. True. Very true. So tell, tell the audience where they can find your company. All right, so we are on uh, Instagram at, at Stymie Golf Supply is our Instagram handle. Yep. And the website is stymiegolfsupply.com. I'm going to open this and show because we have a video too. But so the main, the main business, like the hats are not the main business. Correct. This, tell, tell us more about this product. Right, so this is, this is a valuables bag that you, you know, can either A, put tees and ball markers and things in and you just kind of, keeps it convenient storage and just cinch it up and put it in your bag. Yeah. Or some people, we call it a valuables bag because a lot of people put their watch and their wallet and their mm-hmm. cell phone in here. It's got a really nice inner fleece padded uh, layer that keeps it safe. Yep. So, you know, some people use it for their tees and ball markers and things. Some people use it for their, uh, uh, for their valuables. But uh, then the other product uh, is the head covers mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, they're just stylish, Way it's to keep your uh, your your driver, your hybrid, or fairway wood safe. Yeah, so, so they don't rattle around in your trunk like mine do. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so it's what's the Instagram handle? Uh, Stymie Golf Supply and my website. Uh, Stymie Golf Supply. Stymie Got it. Okay. And so, if, guys, if you are golfers out there and you want some some really cool gear, as you can see here, Stymie Golf Supply. Uh, anything else before we uh, wrap up? No. no. I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you having me. It's a lot of fun. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for tuning in to the Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast brought to you by Strive to Move. If your pain or injury is preventing you from living the healthy and active lifestyle you love and deserve, and want to get back to doing what you love pain-free, we offer both a free ebook and free over-the-phone consultation to help you figure out the root cause of your pain and the best next steps to help resolve it. Find our ebooks online at strivetomove.com slash our services. There you'll find an ebook for topics on such things as back pain, knee pain, sports injuries, and CrossFit injuries. These ebooks will provide you with free expert advice, tips, and exercises to help solve your pain from the comfort of your own home. Just visit strivetomove.com slash our services to download your ebook and have it delivered directly to your inbox. We also offer free, no obligation phone consults with a doctor on staff to New Jersey residents. Just call us at 908-547-0729 or visit us at strivetomove.com and click the talk to the doctor first button on the homepage to schedule a call with us. Thanks again for joining us and we will see you next time on the stay healthy New Jersey podcast.